Welcome back today to Unknown Friends, my book review podcast. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions at www.kittywhamproductions.com. Today you have tuned into episode number 25 of my podcast, which kind of makes me feel like I've been doing this for a long time now. That's a strange sensation. It has been exactly six months since I started the podcast in April, half a year, and let me tell you what, I have been reading since then at probably an unprecedented rate for me personally. Um, doing these book reviews has been a great motivation for me to read and listen to audiobooks almost voraciously. <laughs> at least that's what it's felt like to me. And it's awesome. I've, I've also been motivated to stretch a bit outside of my comfort zone and pick up books that I wouldn't necessarily get into without the incentive of doing this podcast and trying to offer a variety of genres and eras and authors. So I'm very glad for the opportunity. I've learned a lot and I've found some new favorites that I might never have looked into otherwise. As always, I love getting your recommendations for books I should read and review, so if you have any to suggest, feel free to let me know by emailing me at kittywham at gmail.com. That's K-I-T-T-Y-W-H-A-M at gmail.com. I also appreciate your feedback on the books I do review, so if there's an author whose books you've particularly enjoyed hearing about, and you'd love it if I'd focus more on a particular author or genre, more, you know, uh, Victorian literature, more children's literature, whatever it may be. Just let me know, and I'll try to do more reviews according to what you most enjoy hearing. So thanks very much for giving me that feedback. Now, that is quite enough of a preamble. It is high time to talk about today's book. The Magician's Elephant by the wonderful Kate DiCamillo. This, as I mentioned last week, is a pretty recent publication. The Magician's Elephant came out in 2009, although already since then, Kate DiCamillo has published, I think, maybe a dozen more books, uh, though several of those are short chapter books for younger kids. But still, she is a busy writer and... While I've only read two of her novels so far, I want to read much more from her because I've just loved what I've read so far. So, um, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, there's sometimes not as much public information about living writers as there often is for historical writers. But the little I can tell you about Kate DiCamillo is that she is obviously an American author, born in 1964. She was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and raised in Florida, and she currently lives and works in Minnesota. She has a website where you can read a bit more about her and her books. The website address is simply www.katedicamillo.com, and you can find the spelling of her name in this episode's description. But essentially, she writes children's books, everything from picture books to middle grade or young teen novels. I'm sure you've probably heard of Because of Win Dixie, which was her first novel published in 2000. 
She also wrote The Tale of Despero in 2003, which won her her first Newbery Award. And she won the Newbery again in 2014 with her children's book, Flora and Ulysses. And from what I've read in the last hundred years since the Newbery Award was first established as an annual award for distinguished children's literature, only six authors have ever won it twice. And Kate DiCamillo is one of those six, so that's that's pretty cool. As I mentioned, I have only read two of her novels so far, and those are The Tale of Despero and then, of course, The Magician's Elephant. I loved them both. I, I loved different aspects of each of them, and both have lots to teach not only children, but I think teens and adults as well. Kate DiCamillo just has a refreshing vision of life to share and remarkable wisdom to communicate in her seemingly simple but profound stories. Her books are optimistic and winsome and wholesome, and yet she doesn't pretend that darkness doesn't exist in the world or we don't have to fight it. In The Magician's Elephant, for instance, the characters are are desperately resisting, trying to overcome lies and despair. And yes, in the end, everything turns out well. Uh, Some would say unrealistically well with a perfectly happy ending. Uh, But honestly, the realism or unrealism of that depends somewhat on your point of view. And obviously, she's writing middle grade fiction. She's not trying to be Dostoevsky or anything. So uh, you should expect a magically happy, um, hopeful ending. We need both kinds of books. Uh, And frankly, I find optimistic stories like DiCamillo's particularly welcome in times like these. So let's get into the plot of The Magician's Elephant. It all starts in winter in a city called Baltese with a boy named Peter Augustus Duchesne, who hopes that his little sister Adele is not dead, as he has been told. Their parents died, and Peter has been told that Adele was stillborn, but he hopes, beyond hope, that she's truly alive. And in chapter one, a mysterious fortune teller informs Peter that Adele does live, and that an elephant will lead him to her. Now, Peter can't tell whether to believe the fortune teller, but he desperately wants to. And meanwhile, in the same city of Baltese, that same evening, an old and sad magician, to everyone's astonishment, including his own, performs a spell that brings forth an elephant crashing through the ceiling and falling into the audience. The magician is astounded, the elephant is bewildered, and Madame Levon, upon whose lap the elephant fell, finds that her legs are crushed and she will never be able to walk again. So the magician and elephant are both imprisoned, and the extraordinary appearance of the elephant becomes the talk of the whole city that winter. The news of it soon reaching little Peter Augustus Duchesne, where he lives in the apartment's polonaise with his guardian, an old soldier and friend of his late father, Vilna Lutz. 
So this little novel proceeds to follow Peter in his journey to try to find the elephant to lead him, he hopes, to his sister. But in her usual way, Kate DiCamillo gets into the hearts and minds and tells us the stories of many other characters in the process. This is not a one-sided, one-perspective tale told just through the eyes of Peter. So we see more of the magician and of Madame Lavon, who was crippled by the elephant. Um, And we see the two of them trying to communicate and deal with what's happened and failing miserably. More on that in a a few minutes. We learn more about Vilna Lutz, the guardian of Peter, and we see things about him both to dislike and to pity. We meet the lovely couple, Leo and Gloria Matien, who don't know what to do about the fact that they can't have children. Uh, Leo especially features throughout the novel. He is a policeman who delights in asking questions, especially ones that no one else thinks to ask. We, let's see, we meet the Countess Quintet, who cannot stand the fact that the elephant's appearance is the center of attention this winter, taking notice away from people like herself, who should be the center of attention. We meet Sister Marie of the Orphanage of the Sisters of Perpetual Light, who has always believed she could fly. And we meet the hunchbacked gargoyle sculptor Bartok Wynne, who irrepressibly laughs at everything around him. We meet the beggar, Tomas, who sings and owns a blind dog. And we meet Hans Ekman, servant to Madame Levon, who's now confined to a wheelchair. And the elephant, too, has a story, and we get even its perspective. So every single one of these colorful characters has a story. And Kate DiCamillo beautifully weaves those stories together and gives us insight into each person's life and their way of looking at the world, their hopes and fears, and in some cases, the ways they might need to change. Now, Kate DiCamillo's works, or the ones I've read for sure, have this amazing quality about them where they feel, on one hand, sort of old-fashioned. They are um, fairy tale-esque, you could say, and draw on timeless truths and story patterns. So in The Magician's Elephant, you have uh, a brave orphaned child looking for a lost sibling. You have a magician, a fortune teller, an animal as guide, a a childless couple hoping for children. You have all these characters we recognize from centuries of classic stories. Um, these, These types just work. There's a power to them. And yet, at the same time as DiCamillo's stories feel age old and familiar, they also somehow feel startlingly fresh. So even just from my descriptions of the different characters, you can already get the sense that DiCamillo has her own unique creative ability, um, an imagination that uses timeless materials to create something delightfully new. Uh, And her writing style is part of that too. She can state things with incredible simplicity, but in a way somehow we've not heard before. I'm not sure how she does that, but it's beautiful. Maybe 
It's partially just the fact that she's doing something very old, but in the 21st century. And that combination itself is rare and remarkable. So I want to quote a few lines from the story that I particularly loved, and they clue us in to some of the novel's key themes as well, which I want to touch on. So first of all, let's talk about hope. Hope, I think, is often undervalued. It can sound sort of weightless, um, airy, and easy, and insubstantial, but I think hope is actually a momentous thing, and Kate DiCamillo clearly communicates in The Magician's Elephant that she too thinks it is momentous. And here is the key quote I want to pull and read to you. In the midst of the story, Peter has run into difficulties and he is doubting whether he'll ever find his little sister Adele or whether she's even alive. And the narrator says this, Peter decided that it was a terrible and complicated thing to hope, and that it might be easier instead to despair. That is not a viewpoint, I don't think, that we commonly hear. But I think Dick Millow is right. Despair is easy, and hope is hard. And her story ultimately affirms the power and the truth of hope, But it's not a thing to be easily won. Only a couple of brave characters dare to hope in The Magician's Elephant. And it's their belief in the impossible that pulls others from despair and makes change happen in the world. Now, on that note, there is a related theme in The Magician's Elephant, and that is the asking of questions. There's this interesting scene early in the novel where the police department is trying to decide what to do with this elephant that has appeared in the city of Baltese. And they're thinking about things like what the legal ramifications are and, you know, who should be punished and things. And it's only the policeman, Leo Matien, who I mentioned earlier, who um, delights in asking questions, who thinks that his fellow policemen are all asking the wrong questions. They are trying to solve problems like where to keep the elephant instead of asking where on earth the elephant came from when the magician spoke the spell and made it appear, or uh, why the elephant came, and what is the meaning of its appearance. So Leo Matian makes his way home that night asking himself all kinds of what-if questions, using his imagination to try to ask questions that matter. And the quote I want to highlight is the statement, uh, well, uh, a question, not coincidentally, which he puts to his wife Gloria a little later. He asks her, how will the world change if we do not question it? And this ties in with the themes of despair and hope, because despair only sees what is, or what seems to be on the surface of things, whereas hope sees what could be, and perhaps what already is under the surface. Despair assumes no possibility for change. It takes things as they seem, whereas hope believes that change is possible if we are willing to question the way things seem. 
So if we want to change the world, we must dare to question the way things appear. And we must ask the right questions, questions that matter, that have meaning. There is always potential for change if we're willing to question ourselves and the world around us. And then lastly, I want to mention one more theme which DiCamillo explores uh, simply and profoundly, as always. We see it in several characters, but it's clearest in the interaction between the magician and Madame Levon, the noblewoman who was crippled by the elephant falling on top of her. So these two characters are at odds, obviously, because Madame Levon's injury was the magician's fault, since he conjured up the elephant. But the magician's defense against the charge is his claim that he didn't intend to conjure an elephant. He says his intent was to use the spell to conjure a bouquet of lilies to present to Madame Levon, and the elephant's appearance surprised him. Now, this claim is not strictly entirely true, but it's kind of a half-truth. Well, Madame Levon keeps visiting the magician in prison, but their conversation always simply consists of each one making their claim against the other, and no one makes any headway. The magician just keeps saying, I intended only lilies, and Madame Levon keeps saying, perhaps you do not understand, I was crippled by an elephant. And they never get beyond that. They just keep repeating themselves and talking past each other. Well, Hans Ekman, Madame Levon's servant, recognizes the futility of this uh, so-called conversation, and when he has finally had enough of it, he makes uh, a straightforward but incredibly deep statement of truth. He says, It is important that you say what you mean to say. Time is too short. You must speak the words that matter. So what the magician's repeated statement truly means is, it was not my fault, and Madame Levon's truly means, you hurt me and nothing can change that fact. They're just not saying these things in so many words. And what eventually becomes clear by the end of the story is that they must both, number one, say what they truly mean, and number two, recognize deeper truths about the situation. In reality, the appearance of the elephant was the magician's fault, and he must acknowledge that and ask Madame Levon's forgiveness. And in reality, though Madame Levon has been hurt, she must acknowledge that the magician did not intend to hurt her, and she must forgive him for what he inadvertently caused. So, in all of this, DiCamillo illuminates the way we human beings so easily fall into making claims that don't reflect the essence of what we mean or what has truly happened in our lives. We say what we perhaps think we mean or what we imagine is true, but we don't make the effort to question ourselves, back to that theme, um, and question our own claims about life. And so we end up talking past each other because we're not dealing in truths. We must take Hans Ekman's advice and speak the words that matter because time is too short for lies 
or for lazy half-truths. So those are some thoughts on The Magician's Elephant. As I'm sure you can tell, there is a lot there, and I highly recommend this book. Kate DiCamillo's stories grow from time-tested, meaningful truths, and she develops and depicts them in innovative ways with an enchanting tale that follows compelling and surprisingly realistic characters. I don't remotely think this so-called children's book is unfitting for adults. I wholeheartedly enjoyed it and found it thought-provoking, and I think you will too. And yet at the same time, it is a great story for kids. Um, It would be the perfect novel, I think, to read aloud with your kids. The story offers lots to discuss. It raises good questions to think about together, and it teaches wholesome, uplifting lessons. So that's it for today's book review. Looking ahead to episode 26, next week I will be reviewing a book that I first heard about maybe 10 years ago, and I've always been curious about, but I've never mustered the courage to read until this year. It's the science fiction novel Ender's Game, written by Orson Scott Card. This is another fairly recent work. It was published in 1985, and it has deservedly become a classic of military sci-fi. In fact, it's on the recommended reading list for the U.S. military. It's a fascinating, gripping story that raises difficult ethical questions. Um, And fair warning, the book itself is not for the faint of heart, but it's intriguing, and I look forward to reviewing it next week. By the way, to take a quick look further ahead, I want to let you know that season one of the Unknown Friends podcast is officially going to last for 30 episodes, so for five more weeks after today. That will bring us almost to Thanksgiving. That's hard to believe. And then we'll call it quits for the first season of book reviews, and I'll then be taking several weeks off for the holidays. Don't worry, I plan to be back with season two in January, and I'm not going to be completely silent in between seasons. I have a couple ideas up my sleeve already for bonus episodes that will be coming out probably in December. More on that later. Anyway, still five more episodes to go this season, and I'm very excited about the books I have lined up for those episodes, starting with Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game next week. So I hope you tune in for that review. 